morning, everybody. Good morning. Nice. To- <laughs> thank you, Donnie. And Bonnie, thank you for those beautiful songs. We're going to miss hearing from you, and we have decided to vote against your leaving the class. Tell him, please, that he got voted down. You have to stay here in Houston. Anyway, thank you for doing that. And condolences with regard to your aunt, your dear aunt. Sounds like she's in good hands, however. So that's wonderful, wonderful. Welcome to everybody. And welcome, you youngins. We're glad you're here. (laughs) So we're in Luke. Right? Yeah, Luke chapter 9. Okay, feel free to yell out anytime you want. Anything you want. <laughs> I like your hairdo. You got a different color. I'm just trying to be nice to you so you maybe you settle down. Say again. Happy birthday! I know it, just for a little while. How old are you? Never mind. No, not supposed to ask that. No. <laughs> that is one great lady. I used to like her. We were in uh, away on holidays to visit my mother, who's 95. She's a strong believer. She's going strong. Can't hear much uh, when when I speak to her, which makes no difference because she's never listened to any. What's... <laughs> and then we went to see uh, our son and daughter-in-law at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And uh, he's in jump master school now. That was telling Donnie. That's uh, advanced Air Army Advanced Airborne School. And... Uh, He's passed all his stuff thus far. Got one week to go. Final, what they do is you got to inspect three paratroopers in five minutes. It's real complicated. All this equipment, reserve chutes, this, that, and the other thing. And then the instructors, they've sabotaged it. And you have to catch it because it could be hazardous to a guy's life if he jumps and something gets caught or something. And... uh, they have a high failure rate the first time, and then you go through it again. But anyway, he's, uh, I guess I'm bragging here. He's just about at the top of his class right now. There's a, about 100 paratroopers going through it. You have to qualify to go through it. He's the only chaplain. There's, o- there's only a handful of chaplain jump masters uh, in the entire United States Army. So that gave him a little bit of a leg up. And then we were real proud. On Thanksgiving, we settled around to eat turkey, and he got up after he ate, and I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go see my soldiers. And he went to the hospitals, and he visited guys who were on duty and stuff like that, which made me proud because he's a soldier, but you've got to be a chaplain. you got to remember, don't just be a soldier. You're their pastor, you know what I mean? So anyway, they're getting ready for uh, Afghanistan. First Brigade of the 82nd, about 3,000 paratroopers will be going uh, unless our politicians change their mind, who the heck knows what they think. But anyway, I have a bad attitude. <laughs> Not about the military, but about, never mind. Uh, anyway, they, they're gearing up to go, uh, probably near the Pakistani border. There's nothing going on. So the 82nd Airborne is going to go set up airstrips and stuff like that and probably do what they can do to deal with 
You, you hear these crazy group, the Haqqani, whatever it is, some crazy terrorist group operating in Pakistan are sometime ally, and uh, their mission is to neutralize those guys is what, what the deal is. And chaplains are going to go and minister to the troops while they while they do what they have to do. So it was very, very impressive to be at the Fort Bragg and see all these soldiers and their dependents and so on and so forth. Uh, they have the Golden Knights there, the Army Precision Parachute Team. They have Rangers, uh, Special Forces. Um, and then they have something that nobody's supposed to know about, Delta Force, you know what I mean? You ever hear about that? Anyway, that's what they are too, but nobody's supposed to know about it. But we saw where they were. But I didn't take any pictures. You, that's not a good idea. And uh, they're real, real, real. The Army is real, 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 real good. All the branches are at what they do. If our politicians would just never mind, get out of the way. What do you say, Barb? January or February? Joshua from West Point. He's at Bragg. Yeah. Man, Barb, I wish I knew this. We looked up a gal. Her mama uh, is from here, and she's there feeling a little lonely. She's from uh, Pasadena, has a little baby, and her husband's uh, special forces. And he's an officer, special forces officers, and they were doing some crazy exercises, and she felt a little bit alone. So we took her out one night, and her little baby... And that kid didn't keep quiet the whole night. I want to it. But anyway, we had to be nice to the kid. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and you know who she is, Sheila? She's Crystal. Uh, Crystal is Sheila and Eli's daughter, my daughter-in-law. She's a doll. She was with us. She's a school teacher, and she used to teach with this gal. Uh, they knew each other, and her mama is the secretary in Crystal's school and said, hey, can you go – Get in touch with my daughter. She's a little lonely, and so that's what we did. So I I paid and everything. Yeah. For those of you who don't believe in miracles. <laughs> well, anyway, that has nothing to do. Yeah, David. No. Uh, don't believe everything you read. He's a he's a Southern Baptist chaplain, and uh, here's what you have to do: your uh, chaplains are endorsed by their denomination, and then you have to qualify through the military. So you got to be a regular soldier, but also endorsed. In order to get an endorsement of your denomination, whatever it is, Methodist, Lutheran, whatever it is, Baptist, you must. Minister in accordance with the doctrinal perspective of your endorsing body. Ours believes that Jesus is the only way. We don't pray generic prayers, therefore. And he could lose his endorsement by the Southern Baptist Convention unless he represents our um, doctrinal point of view. And the government knows that, and the ACLU knows that, and all the rest. So, no, when we were there, I was telling Donnie or somebody, I forget, it was so long ago. 
He went out on Thanksgiving and ministered to his troops, and he prays. And I was right there. He prays in Jesus' name. They brought in the the chaplains at Fort Bragg, Protestant chaplains brought in the Billy Graham Association, and uh, had a huge deal music and then a message and hundreds of soldiers accepted the lord now the the there there was opposed like crazy and the three-star general lieutenant general is the commander of fort bragg and he just said uh, uh this is perfectly legitimate we are requiring no soldier to attend we're simply offering it if we re- required it well, then you can get on our case. We're simply offering it. So, no, no, no. They're late. They got New Testament. I brought some really cool camouflage Bibles, and it says 82nd Airborne 1st Brigade right on it. And they bring those. I brought a couple back. They bring them right out to the field. So I know there's movements. There's always been movements to curtail the rights, and it, it may happen. But, no, they operate freely, freely, freely. They do the Lord's work. They share the gospel, all the rest. When I got there, he was on a street corner near their headquarters building. They wear red berets. Airborne wear red berets. And he was ministering to two of his soldiers right there on a street corner, and he was talking to them about the Lord. There's no limitation whatsoever. It's probably the military, the last vestige of good conservative American values. I don't know what we have left. But uh, no, 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 freedom of movement. You get people squawking all the time. You get liberal law students from Harvard University who want to get rid of the military chaplain. This has happened throughout the decades, but they have failed miserably. So anyway, he's got a big old Texas flag in his office, big old Lone Star flag in his office. They let him hang up. Well, his commander is from Texas, and he's what's called chaplain friendly. Meaning he calls on the chaplain any time before a jump. Chaplain, your time. And uh, my son would get up there, do a little devotional, and lead him in prayer in Jesus' name before they jump. And he said, everyone, the toughest uh, paratrooper will bow his head and pray. And I said, why do they cooperate? He says, because he knows it could be his last jump. They die. That's just that kind of deal. Boy, I, this has nothing to do with anything I prepared, but anyway. So, what did you say? <laughs> that ought to learn me never to call on John Wilhoy. Why do I do this? <laughs> Mary, do you have a hand? I'd rather hear from Mary. Yeah. Come on. South Carolina. I've been there. So he's at Fort Jack. He's the company commander. That's an honor. Way to go. Way to go. That is one. See, that's where the United States Army Chaplain School is, Fort Jackson. We went there to graduation and stuff like Wow, wow, wow. And that's something great. Well, let's pray and go home. Oh, wait, listen to this, Luke chapter 9. I have to do this because Chuck's going to say, did you teach anything or did you just ramble? You know how he is. Mary, he's mean. He did? Oh, well, he's right. So look at here, Luke chapter 9. I'd like to read you a few verses, and I think you'll appreciate this text. Luke chapter 9 is where we are, beginning in verse 1. We're just going to look at the first part of this uh, uh, event. And he called the twelve together. 
That's what yours says, doesn't it? Something like that. He called the twelve together. Listen, the Lord had been doing a lot uh, uh, of uh, ministry, and now it's time for these twelve to do the same. Uh, they have been trained by the Master, and now He's going to send them off as apprentices to do likewise. You will see. And from this point on in Luke's gospel, you're going to see a more blatant focus of attention by the Lord on these 12. And I'll tell you in a second why. But anyway, he called the 12 together. Listen, the Lord Jesus was here uh, for earthly ministry for a very limited uh, period of time. Uh, But he wanted everyone to be saved. So you might want to ask yourself the question, what would be your strategy? You're here. You want the gospel to go forth so that everyone has a chance to hear and believe. But there's only one of you and you have a very little time. So the Lord could have used this strategy. He could have, let's say, done... um, Lots of evangelism every single day. And let's say he was very effective at it so that he saw 1,000 people a day uh, bow before him and confess him as Savior and Lord. Let's say through his gospel preaching ministry, he saw 1,000 converts every single day. How many would that be in a year? Um, uh, uh, Excuse me. If it was 1,000 a week. I'm sorry, and you're correct, Bonnie. There'd be 52,000, sorry about that, 52,000. And so if he had a three-year ministry of winning 52,000 converts a year, how many would that be in three years? Bonnie, how are you doing this so fast for someone from Louisiana? My goodness. Okay, I got you. So so 156,000, wouldn't that be a gratifying think of it if it was you? Let's say in the span of three years of your life, you succeeded in seeing 156,000 people accept the Lord. Magnificent for sure. You would have a ton of converts. But would they be able to reach the rest of the world? Maybe. But maybe not. Why not? Well, because they're not equipped. (laughs) They're babies, right? Born again, just like a baby. Needy, uh, you know, thank God, born, but needing nourishment and nurture and all the rest. So uh, that's quite a record, 156,000. But that being the case, you'd probably have absolutely no time to disciple a one of them or to nurture a one of them. Your energies would be expended and leading that many people to to the Lord. So uh, I point this out to tell you, I do not believe the Lord's strategy for reaching the world is addition of converts to the body of Christ. No, I think his strategy for reaching the world is the multiplication of disciples. Why? Because a disciple can go out and do ministry of an evangelistic kind, and thus you can multiply your efforts. So the Lord's strategy, you'll see this in Luke's gospel and all the others from now on, was not just to add converts. It was to multiply disciples. So he took these 12. Oh, he met the needs of the multitudes. Remember the feeding of the 5,000 and all the rest? He surely did. But mainly he did it while the 12 were watching. They uh, watched him teach. They watched him heal. They watched him deal with 
demons. They watched him in ministry and all the rest. And they were trained up. And now in this text in Luke, this is their first assignment. Having watched the master, he's sending them out. In these six verses in Luke chapter 9, it's their first missionary assignment. This is their apprenticeship. Notice, he did not send out the 5,000 whose stomachs were filled. He cared about them, but he trained up a few because the 5,000 would not reach the world for Messiah Jesus. But the disciples would go out on missionary journeys, even being persecuted for the faith, and perpetuate the gospel down to this very day. Remember when I was in the military and led to Christ many years ago, the fellow who led me to the Lord did not just birth me spiritually, and then dump me on the doorstep of some church. He did not say, here, baby, <laughs> you're on your own. After leading me to the Lord, he stayed with me for probably a year in personal ministry. That doesn't mean just the two of us. That means whatever he did, he let me watch. So if he went here, if he went there, I was with him. And a lot of things took place on the way. Let's say we were in a restaurant and he engaged the wait staff in conversation about the Lord. Well, there I was. You see, so he discipled me. I'd see him get up in the morning, every morning in the barracks, and go over to his desk, crack open the Bible, and do something. I didn't know what it was. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm meeting with the Lord. And he said, if you'd like, I'll show you how to do it. And I said, I would. So he taught me how to have a quiet time. He took me on, uh, uh, we used to call them faith trips where we would just go to some cross-cultural situation, hook up with the seasoned missionary, and under that person's umbrella, minister, faith trip, because if we didn't have the money to go, we would just pray, oh God, would you assist us and go? I mean, so he taught me, he taught me how to relate to, um, gals. You know, you don't, you don't know, how, you're in the military, you don't know how to do this stuff in an appropriate manner. So he would taught me how to do, these things, he taught me about the importance of commitment to a local church body, warts and all, to make it better instead of knocking it down, criticizing it all the time, you see. So, and then after a year, uh, he said to me this, he said, Stuart, now you go and do likewise. So I found another guy in the barracks, a Christian, and I discipled him for a year. And we kept doing this. This was, I was in the Air Force then. I've done two branches. I kept getting thrown out. So this was at Offutt Air Force Base, Omaha, Nebraska, Strategic Air Command. And out of our little group, guys got spread out all over the world through the military orders. And everyone who went was able to do what had been done with him through the principle, you see, of multiplying disciples, not just baby converts. So... Let me illustrate this way. Let's say you got six years at your disposal for whatever reason. You have six years of active ministry. And let's say you lead 100,000 people to the Lord each year. So in six years, how many converts is that? 600,000 converts. Can you imagine 
That is fantastic. But you, again, would have absolutely no time for nurturing a one of them. You, you, you simply busied yourself and expended yourself in leading people to the Lord, which is fantastic, um, uh, but you haven't really built into the life of any one of them. Let's say instead of doing that, you led one person to the Lord, one person to the Lord in a year, and you spent the entire year discipling that one person. That doesn't look very impressive at all, frankly, because at the end of a year, you only have two, not converts, two disciples. But let's say each of you do the same thing so that at the end of the second year, you have four, not converts, disciples. Let's say that's repeated in the third year. Now you have 16. And let's say you do this again the fourth year. Now you have 256. Year five, 65,536 matured disciples. Sixth year, 4,294,967,296 Disciples, not just converts. This is the Lord's strategy. We are missing it. I am not discouraging gospel sharing. Please don't insinuate that. I'm just saying, if you knocked yourself out leading in six years, 600,000 people to the Lord, Not a one of them has been afforded the benefit of nurture so as to reproduce their lives. This is the principle of multiplication. By the way, the world started this way physically with Adam and Eve, right? And look at it. Here we all are. It's the principle of spiritual multiplication rather than just addition. You can pack a church with thousands and thousands of Christians, many of whom are baby Christians who have not had proper nurture. Now, churches could have discipleship programs. I'm in favor of it, but let me just offer something else. Don't wait around for that. Find someone and disciple that person. So here's the deal. If you are a new believer, here is your responsibility. Grow. If you are already a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, here is your responsibility. Find a new believer who you can help grow. That's what you do. And the beauty of it is you don't need to go through any church bureaucracy. You don't need special budgets. It doesn't have to be butted on, uh, voted on or budgeted. You just say, Lord, give me eyes to see one person who I can nurture and disciple just as the Lord did, who I could then say to, now you go and find somebody else and do the same. I'm telling you, it can be done without exhausting yourself. You know how the Bible says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations? In the Greek, it actually says, as you are going, be making disciples. That's what a guy did with me. As he went about just the course of living life, he just let me tag along. Most of what the Lord's followers got, they got from watching him operate. As you are operating, be making disciples. So let me encourage you. Uh, 
the fellow taught me this strategy, and I remember it off at Air Force Base. I can name you the names of the guys who are in full-time Christian service today, 35 years later, because of the input they've had in their lives. Each of us is blooming where we're planted. We're all in different places. I'll show you a picture of it. We took a picture. There was about a 10 of us, all in different places now because of that principle of spiritual multiplication. And each one is now multiplying, doing the same thing, bearing fruit in the lives of others. So you'll see this throughout the Bible. Paul had his Timothy. Moses had his Joshua. Elijah had his Elisha. Who do you have? Now listen, it has to be same gender. This deal of a man discipling a woman, are you crazy? You're asking for trouble. We don't play that game. Man to man, women to women. You just do it. You just do it. It's a brilliant strategy, and you see it here. So that's why the Lord is investing in these 12. And so it says he gave them power and authority over all the demons uh, and to heal diseases. Just a sidelight. Luke is showing us a distinction between demonization and illnesses. There's a difference. So you have to be real wise if you're going to mess around with demons. You've got to make sure that what you're dealing with is not just a physical illness. Some people call everything demon possession. Some people call nothing demon possession. What's called for is balance. There are There are physical maladies. There are psychiatric maladies. But then there are also emotional problems sometimes caused by demons. It's it's a sticky wicket. It's tricky. Uh, And we surely don't have time now to say more about it. I just want you to see Luke, the physician, is showing us quite a difference between demon possession and diseases. Well, uh, the Lord... Oh, John. Thank you, John. Yes, his mentor was a guy named Jeff. I'll leave out last name just for a sec. And uh, and Jeff was an Air Force fighter pilot. (laughs) And Jeff, have you anyone ever heard of a guy named Leroy Imes? I don't know if you know him. He wrote a book called Leaders Are are, uh, Not Born, They're Made. He was with a group called The Navigators I used to be with. They started in the Navy years ago and... Leroy Imes was a a man's man, and he led to the Lord and discipled this Air Force fighter pilot named Jeff Gorsuch, Jeff Gorsuch. Jeff Gorsuch found this guy named Mark Santostefano and discipled him. Mark Santostefano found me and discipled me right on down the line. (laughs) It works. It works. We did this all in the military. Now, none of us are in the military. We're all all over the place. Literally all over the world going on. Now there are dropouts, for sure. There are dropouts, and so that throws the forward movement off, but the principle is still very valid. You see, the principle is still... I mean, the Lord lost one. Remember Judas? So, okay. So then it says, verse 2 here, He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform... Healing. So he's sending these out on their first training mission. 
It's just like being trained in the military. Now you're going out to your first occasion here. And he said to them, verse 3, take nothing for your journey, not a staff, a bag, bread, money. Don't even take don't even have two tunics apiece. Now, some people who do not handle the scriptures right think that's to be the model for all efforts. They're missing it. This was a training mission of short-term duration. You'll see later in Luke, after doing this, they simply were to come back and report to him how it went. This was not to be the norm for all ministry and missions efforts. Some extremists do this and shed themselves of all things of the world in order to go out to do the Lord's work. Now, you can do whatever you want, but that's not what this passage is teaching. This passage is teaching this. I'm deploying you on a short-term missions assignment. Travel lightly. That's what he's saying here. But I can show you later on in Luke when the Lord actually authorized that they take some of this equipment. For instance, can you turn to Luke chapter 22 just for a second? Luke chapter 22. I just want to show you something. Uh, Beginning in verse 35. Luke 22 verse 35. And he said to them, When I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything did you? They said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. So you see, the Lord is saying the opposite there. On the first missions trip, he's saying, take nothing, basically travel lightly. On the second missions trip or or on a latter one recorded in Luke 22, he's saying, go equipped. What's the point? It's not the same methodology all the time. Ministry is a function of knowing the circumstances you're in and the situation. That's why churches and people who get locked into man-made traditions get terribly inflexible about doing things. On this first trip, it was rehearsal. The one we're reading about in Luke 9 is rehearsal for their full-time future worldwide ministry. He's saying you don't have to take all this stuff now. It's just a short foray into the world. You know what he's saying? I'm with you, but I'm not going out with you. Go alone. Apply what you've seen. My preaching, my healing, my exorcism. Do all those things, then come back and tell me how it was. You see what I mean? So they don't need all this gear. Now, there's a second reason why he told them not to take the gear. Um, He wanted them to learn to depend on him. (laughs) So that principle surely still applies to us. Not the practice, but the principle. And the principle is, don't try to protect yourself for every contingency. Trust God to protect you. Travel lightly through life. Be careful about the accumulation of stuff, which, though you think you have it, may end up having you. I mean, every time you buy something, that means you've got to fix it when it breaks. So then it has you. Now, I'm not saying to do without, you know, uh, uh, dig a hole and put your head in it. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a home. You shouldn't have, I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying it's just a matter of balance. Make sure the world's stuff doesn't get you so encumbered and distracted that you can't be in the battle. That's the principle. But the practice doesn't apply. 
The practice only applied to these guys at this time. It didn't even apply to these guys in Luke chapter 22, you see. So we shouldn't say to one of our missionaries when we send them out, you know, take nothing with you, just trust God. <laughs> no, 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 that's not, that's not what is in view here. By the way, you see the word, uh, see where it says don't take a bag? It's a beggar's bag. Other traveling itinerant missionaries representing false gods would take that bag. It's called the beggar's bag. And they would go around collecting money for their services. And the Lord Jesus is essentially saying, you have every right to receive material sustenance from those you impart spiritual gifts to. But don't go around like a beggar. Don't profit from the ministry. Doesn't mean you can't be supported, but don't get rich on the backs of the people you're trying to minister to. No beggar's bag. So if you're a minister of the Lord Jesus, and you are, you don't go about begging for sustenance. People are responsible, for sure. But ultimately, the Lord's going to take care of you. Don't reduce the ministry to a job. You know, a payment for services. That's not how you do it. That's why I always get nervous. If ever we interview someone around here for a position we may have, sometimes I get in on the interview stuff, sometimes. We don't do this a lot around here. But if the one of the first things the guy brings up is, do you have a dental plan or something like that? I go, come on, man. There's no. I'm not saying that that's a problem. I'm just saying he may have a problem. That's what you're, you're looking for a salary package? Come on, man. So... Anyway, that's just me. Yeah, where's the heart? Exactly right. All righty. So, uh, verse 4, whatever house you enter, stay until you leave that city. You know why? In those days, Jewish hospitality was in view. Everyone who traveled from place to place needed a place to stay. It was just part of our culture. You open up your home to them. No different here. So someone, they'd go to a place. By the way, Mark's gospel tells us two by two. They went in twos. They're in a little Jewish village. They don't have no place to stay. Somebody says, stay with us. That's very gracious. But let's say you're there and you see a guy down the block. He's got a better deal. You can stay with him. He's got a pool in the backyard. (laughs) So you blow off the people who initially extended hospitality to you. What was that going to do to them? You just caused them to stumble. So what this is saying, sir? Correct. (laughs) Exactly right. And you just told them, I'm interested in my comforts more than in conduct consistent with the gospel I'm sharing with you. You see? So you can invalidate the gospel, which you're communicating, through your misconduct because you are misrepresenting the Savior. So that's why it says, stay put, stay where you are. Then verse 5, as for those who do not receive you, what? They just found out there's going to be resistance. They've seen what the Lord went through, and even in his own town, Nazareth, you know. He came to his own, but his own received him not. Now remember, this is their training mission. He's essentially saying, you're going to have to learn to deal with resistance too. He's essentially saying, I'm adding this, but I think this is what's behind it. Don't take it personally. They hated me. They'll hate you. 
it's because of your identification with me. Sometimes we're looking for such a smooth way to share the gospel so that everyone will love us for sharing it. There ain't no such thing. It is a powerful message. It'll harden some. It'll soften others. We never know. Ours is just to share it. Yeah, Ralph. Yeah, in in fact, uh, it. it uh, uh, I don't know that we have a clear record, but it, we. It is implied that they continued to do what the Lord did. They would go back to some of their places. You see in the book of Acts that Paul regularly did this went back to places that he had evangelized to disciple. And then, as I mentioned earlier, he had his Timothy. Remember Paul had his Timothy, who he, who he nurtured in the faith. So, so we, we can imply they continued to use the strategy the Lord did. Randy? Uh, oh, while they were out in the bow. If there is, I'm not aware of it. I thought you were going a different direction. Let me answer the question I... I prefer to answer. <laughs> no. Um, if you're wondering, well, how did the Lord disciple them? Read John 17. Take it apart. Just do likewise. See what he did. He prayed for them. He gave them the word of God. He let them know everything he had was from the Father. You just read John 17 to get an idea. Okay, so let me just share this with you. Uh, so as for those who don't receive you, as you go out from that City. So we're talking about an entire town who rejects the gospel, not an individual. This is real important. A town. They went from town to town. A whole town said, get out of here, you rascals. We don't need any of this stuff. Okay. As for those who don't receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. What does that mean? It was a Jewish thing. When Jewish people would travel into Gentile territory as a symbol of their separation from Gentile ways, they would kick the dust off their sandals. As if, it's not about dust, it's a symbol. It's as if to say, we will not embrace your way of life. So what the Lord is saying here, if you go to a town with the gospel and the town rejects it, kick the dust off your feet, treat them just as if they're pagan Gentiles. See, at this point, they were just sharing the gospel with Jews. It's the gospel messages for everyone. But remember, this is at the early stages of stuff. They're trying out stuff on the Jews before the gospel goes beyond to all people. So that's what this dust thing is all about. about Yes, sir. Uh, Is that part of the training again? Yeah. Or is that instruction for us today? Oh, oh. No, I've got you, Byron, I missed. Uh, I I think it's for us as well, meaning this, meaning this. Not that we give up on on the next-door neighbor who is resistant to the gospel. It's not an individual basis. It's a whole locale. It's a whole, and essentially what it means is I've conducted myself in a good way. I've gone to you. I've not tried to take money from you. I'm not here for my own uh, ambition and achievement. I've shared the gospel message with you in power and in truth, and you have rejected it. Now I must leave you to the decision and authority of Almighty God. It's that kind of deal. Yes, at a certain point, you're under no obligation to continue to debate or to 
argue and all this kind of stuff. You reach a certain point where you say, I'm just going to have to leave you up to God right now. Yeah. So it says, departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So let me tell you this, and then we get to Bill. Uh, and Bill, I feel sorry for you because uh, the Razorbacks got destroyed. Yeah, but they lost a. Never mind, they lost a big one. Fine, just like that. Fine, Bill, if you want to go back to ancient history. Listen, uh, let me get to Bill since I just uh, antagonized him. Go ahead. Yes, and I know where you're going, and I'm going with you. You're right, brother. I know exactly what you're getting at. Yes, there comes a time. Absolutely, my friend. Yeah, and we're, you know, yeah, absolutely. I was telling someone earlier, I think, John, I pray that God would not give us what we deserve because we deserve the dust being kicked off. Just like that. Yes, sir, you are right. Um, let me just close with this. See where it says he preached. Uh, they went preaching and healing. You say, why don't we do the healing today? Well, just just a little bit of a sideline. Their healing was simply a backdrop for their preaching. They're going about. They're a bunch of country bumpkin fishermen. That's where they were. They were not educated folk. They were not. Uh, Leaders in any way, shape, or form. They grew up around the Sea of Galilee. They were smelly old fishermen. And now they're represented as the king of kings. they got to go with something that authenticates it. So he gave them authority to heal. Uh, in order to confirm the veracity or truthfulness of their message. Today, what you look for in ministers is not so much physical healing to corroborate their message. You look for whether their message is consistent with the word of God. Why do I say that? Because Satan has raised up false ministers who he has empowered to do acts of physical healing. So just the mere fact that something supernatural is happening at someone's hands does not mean God is authenticating that guy's ministry. What authenticates a guy's ministry? Is his ministry consistent with truth? You see? Remember, they didn't have inscripturated truth entirely finished in this day. They didn't have Genesis through Revelation. We do. And they had the Lord's earthly ministry. We don't. He's been crucified, resurrected, and ascended. I'm only trying to tell you this is because not everything in the Bible is for every day. Every principle in the Bible is for every day, but not every practice. Today, too, we need to have some means of confirming the truthfulness of what we're saying. Well, what is it? It's the reliability of Scripture. The reliability of Scripture. It's the reliability of Scripture, not just physical healing. Now, I did not say that God doesn't do physical healing. But frankly, in New Testament times, it only took place at certain specific times. It wasn't even that common in the New Testament. I didn't say God doesn't heal. I'm just saying you hear a bunch of healers on TV who are making it look commonplace, while at the same time they're grotesquely mishandling the Word of God. So today you don't, you don't look for healing to confirm someone's message. You look for someone's message 
<laughs> to see whether it confirms, whether it's consistent with God's biblical message. <sighs> the truth, Mark, that is good. The truth is what sets you free. The truth. Absolutely. Well, thank you for bearing. Go ahead, David. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, I don't know if you heard. Dave's question is so good. He said the text says Jesus gave authority, and Judas was one of them. How could Judas, having received such privilege from the Lord, have gone astray? Well, the Lord saw it coming and allowed it just to show us human nature. Choice. Free will. And uh, my fellow Christians, I do not believe a truly transformed, born-again believer can forfeit salvation. But I do believe we can forfeit blessing. Be careful. Me too, me too, me too, me too. I'm not preaching it. They went out two by two. Why? Accountability. Let's hold each other accountable. Not lower standards. No, no, no. Higher, higher, higher standards. As the world goes, it's insanely corrupt sinful way we don't have to be fanatics but we have to be different there's a difference we're not supposed to be like everybody else that's a great question well lord jesus thank you for um raising up these 12 who were willing to do the things you authorized them to do so as to enable us centuries later to receive the gospel message be changed and share it with others. We want to be multipliers just as these were. Give us eyes to see someone we can embrace one at a time, two at a time, to nurture and who could do the same with others. Thank you for uh, loving us so much that you've made provision for our sin and that you've made it possible for the message to be proclaimed even down to this very day. What clearly does apply to us is that we too (laughs) are entrusted with the gospel message, the ministry of reconciliation, as if we are uh, beseeching people to be made right with God. We pray you would make our lives to be so distinct as with these 12 that people would ask us questions for the hope that is within us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. Thank you for.